Greetings, parish orphans and retrogrades. Merry Christmas 2022. We are still in the middle of the Christmas octave for this year. I wish the very best to all of the families of all of the retrogrades and all the parish orphans out there. God bless you. God be with us. The Perugia is on its way, and the Christmas octave feast just reminds us the reality of that guarantee from our Lord, who's coming back. We must prepare our hearts between now and Easter. The Christian Passover, it's on its way. Now we can celebrate it at this point in the liturgical calendar. As the Christmas feasts were had all across the world, Pope Benedict Emeritus XVI has been declared by Pope Francis and the Vatican over the last 24 hours very sick. They, the, the Vatican, folks, does not use the following language previous to the death of a pope. They do not use the language of the deathbed. But Pope Benedict XVI appears to be on his deathbed. Now, I will go through some Benedict history, some of the very basics. I'll go through some of the non-basics in Benedict XVI's later life, comprising the claims which constitute a view of the complex view of his giving up of the pontificate, uh, ensuing beneplanism, which if Benedict dies before Francis would become set of a contism, his rivals, his friends, and we will talk about what happens when Benedict XVI dies. What are the implications? There's some secret esoteric conspiracy level speculation that can be done. And then what happens when Benedict dies? There is some basic logistical difficulty that arises out of the fact that there are two popes now. So that's what follows on tonight's Rules for Retrogrades program. I haven't seen you guys in about a week, six days. I hope your feasts were amazing. And we're going to get to some Benedictine history from the life of Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger in one second. Until then, I would just say that people are here on the third to last day of 2022 looking for ways to support this program, looking for good usages of their cash. Become a Patreon member today, a patron of Timothy J. Gordon, and you will get enhanced benefits in 2023, much as my patrons saw their benefits enhanced in 2022. What does this mean? Well, lots and lots of opportunities to interact with me, lots of cool stuff, lots of free stuff. And of course, on top of being a patron member, you can also donate. This is not to the channel. This is to me. That's the second path of helping the, you know, yours truly directly. Go to DonorBox. When you go to timothyjgordon.com, you can either click the, the Patreon logo, and that's how you help out the show and you get some stuff in return, or you can go to DonorBox. That's to help me, the man, a man of father of five, uh, seven children, and well, you know, one of, one of those children makes it quite difficult to, uh, quite difficult to ever feel good about our monthly health insurance costs. So those are two ways you can help me directly 
One is through the channel, and one is because parish reference are retrogrades. You and I have gotten to know one another, haven't we? And if you want to help me directly, the, the second route is donor box. Also, you should help yourselves by going to realestateforlife.org and getting out of your blue state, getting straight to a red state in early 2023. It's not too late yet. I thought at times it might be, but it's not. Go to realestateforlife.org and get out of your blue state, get to a red state today. Now, last announcement. Last week I made reference to two classes. I'd like your feedback in the commentary of this video. One class will be a short, all my classes are once a week, short, probably four-week course on how to write your own homeschool curriculum. I will teach you how to do that. Lots of Catholic homeschoolers come up to me and Steph and they say, oh, which curriculum do you use? Curriculum is really basically a socialist communist idea from John Dewey out of the University of Chicago. I'll teach you a little bit of the history of that. You could theoretically have a good classical curriculum, but this is a contradiction in terms. I will teach you in a course how to run your kid's homeschool room in a way that's organic and truly classical, reading, writing, arithmetic through the logic phase, through the, uh, through the grammar phase, through the logic phase, through the rhetoric phase of their educations. That's one of the classes. The other class that'll be up on Timothy J. Gordon early in January. Tell me what you'd like to see in these classes. will probably be a six-week class that is six weeks on the Catechism of Trent. It won't cover the, the Catechism of Trent exhaustively. That is the Roman Catechism. It'll be highlights, the way we went through the Baltimore Catechism in a more exhaustive way uh, earlier this year. Let me know what you'd like to see at these classes. All of that will be on timothyjgordon.com. Whether you want to give or get, go to timothyjgordon.com. Now, so we are told, let me just read to you the basics. This is from BBC News. From just seven hours ago, Antoinette Radford in London and Davide Gilione in Rome saying this, when... Bennett XVI resigned in 2013, citing old age. He became the first pope in 600 years to do so, to step down from the role, that is. Born Joseph Ratzinger, the German cardinal was elected in April 2005. We're going to talk about that conclave in a second. And chose to go by the name of Benedict, the 16th man in the Petrine office to do so. For almost a decade... There have, in effect, been two popes living at close quarters in the Vatican because Benedict has stayed in the Vatican Gardens at Mater Ecclesiae Monastery and appeared occasionally alongside his successor. A little sidebar from the BBC article. They think they're being coquettish, getting in a little jab in the eye of Catholicism by saying there have, in effect, been two popes living at close quarters in the Vatican. And the joke's on them. There have been two popes living in effect, at close quarters in the Vatican. Benedict refused to give up the white, to give up the shoes, to give up the fisherman's ring, which is what past popes that have given up the office have done. He made up a title, Pope Emeritus, meaning he is still Pope. I just want to, I don't, I don't, 
beat this bludgeon this point into your head or into the ground every day. I just want to remind you, folks, you normies out there, if, if you're a normie, maybe you're a retrograde or a paratrooper, in which case you're not, that this is a weirdness, an oddity, a historical anomaly, the likes of which has never been seen in the Roman Catholic Church. So don't get too used to it. We are nine years and ten months into the Francis Pontificate, that is to say almost ten years. So time makes us get used to even the strangest oddities. Dostoevsky says, man gets used to everything, the rapscallion. But you shouldn't get used to this one, okay? And this iPhone 13 just cannot be smoothly uh, reactivated once it's gone to sleep. It's very annoying. So I have to keep... It's so annoying without the home button. Um, The article continues... We've never had this before, where a living pope will help bury a dead pope, Christian historian John McGreevy said. And that's true. Even the Middle Ages, the article says, does not provide a template. When Gregory XII resigned in 1415, his aim was to bring an end to division involving rival challengers to the pontificate. uh, Benedict did the opposite. When... Gregory Twelfth resigned. He did not call himself Pope Emeritus, Gregory Twelfth. He did not keep living in the Vatican. He did not keep the white, the shoes, or the fisherman's ring. He went back to being, I think, a cardinal. Ontologically, a bishop. Pope Benedict acts, irrespective of what he really thinks, he acts as if he thinks that becoming Bishop of Rome is some sort of ontological marker. That's strange, folks. Do not get over, in your intellect or in your will, how strange this has been, how it's been strange for 10 years since Benedict stepped aside. Please. Yes, I know he's on his deathbed. Pray for the man. Pray for the man. He left us with the uh, most abusive stepfather. For apparently no reason. When you're 85... And you retire, to use a crass term, I don't think it's retirement in his case, but when you step away at 85 and you cite health reasons, we expect you to die. And yet that's 10 years ago now, and he didn't die. So this is very strange. And we know that Francis and the cardinals that made him king very much wanted to avoid a Ratzinger pontificate in the first place and seemed to have attempted to get Ratzinger as Pope Benedict XVI to step down at various times or to at least elect different, radically different courses of action at different times. And so this cannot be overlooked by anyone with a competent intellect. And it's not going away just because he's on his deathbed, just because if he dies tomorrow or the next day or the next day, pray for the man. A week after that, a month after that, it's not going away. The conspicuousness of this time we're living through. Do you understand that? Please don't be obtuse. Please don't try to be obtuse. In the name of the kind of bourgeois obedience or sanctity, it, it's not the same thing. 
Obtuseness is not obedience. We want to have both eyes open. Typically, when a pope dies, his death is confirmed and foreign heads of state are informally notified before Vatican Radio breaks the news of his death. This means at any moment, right now, Benedict XVI could technically be dead. They don't give us deathbed updates. I assure you, they do not give us deathbed updates. That's one thing I know they don't do. So we know there's that this, this starlight we're looking at is quite old. The news cycle that we're reacting to, even the one that I represent right now over YouTube and over the sound power, this represents older starlight. The person who runs the Vatican from the death of the Pope to the election of another is called a Camerlengo, currently Cardinal Kevin Farrell. But guess what? According to the BBC, a correctly written article, because Benedict is no longer Pope, or what have you, some of the Cardinal's task may no longer be appropriate. I wouldn't even say it that way. I would say because there's a, another realer Pope, or what have you, Francis, then some of the Camerlingo's duties are no longer active. Normally, the Camerlingo has the role of officially confirming the Pope's death. Traditionally, by tapping his head three times with a small silver hammer and calling out his name, he would also oversee the destruction of the Pope's fisherman's ring. They must be destroyed. There should only be one at a time. Unfortunately, now we have two Popes wearing fisherman rings. He must also seal the papal apartments, organize the funeral, prepare the conclave to elect a successor. As Francis is already the active ministry pope, or whatever you want to call it. The Pope's planners just won't deal with what you even call this. There's considerable uncertainty about what the Camerlengo will do. Maybe he'll do nothing. A papal funeral is typically presided over, writes BBC, by the dean of the College of Cardinals, Cardinal Giovanni, Giovanni Battista Ray. But in this case, it is expected that Pope Francis will officiate over the funeral. Why? Because there are two popes, and there have been for 10 years. The ceremony usually takes place either in St. Peter's Basilica or in the piazza in front of it. And I know people, what you're saying out there, you can, you're trying to work this out. So am I. We've been trying to work it out for 10 years. Don't angrily yell into the void. Don't spit platitudes at your screen and be like, well, he's... He's emeritus pope, Tim. I know. I know. I look like you got to. I, I live and breathe this stuff. Okay. I, I know all the things that you might be yelling at your computer. I know all of the talking points that have been given to you and to me to confuse us. Because that's, that's what this last 10 years has been about. Confound, confounding, confusion, you know planned obsolescence of the pontificate, planned obsolescence of the church. I get it. But don't get frustrated and just spit platitudes at me or at your screen or even type them in the comments in order to make yourself feel better. Just admit, as I've told you before, we suffer, you suffer, I suffer, and we're suffering from a position of a blocked wish of epistemic uncertainty 
a verification problem. We just don't have much to hang our hats on at this point. And that's fine. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. The ceremony usually takes place either in St. Peter's Basilica or the piazza in front of it. The Pope is then buried in the grotto beneath the basilica. Each Pope can specify, it says their own funeral arrangement. Each Pope can specify his own funeral arrangement. BBC, learn your English. And although Benedict's family is buried in Germany, his biography, Peter Siebold, said he wanted to be buried in the tomb that belonged to his predecessor, John Paul II, before he was canonized and moved elsewhere in the Vatican. The most significant ritual following the death of a pope, electing a new one, also will not happen after Benedict XVI dies, presuming he's going to beat Pope Francis to the grave, as it, it appears is going to happen now. But the exact protocols the Vatican will follow are unclear as the Catholic Church has yet to release any public information. In other words, it's all new. This is BBC, a liberal, secular joint outfit, doing a decent job of reporting on basically a non-reportable situation. So don't take this out on BBC for once. The reason that this is an undefined scenario, an empty set, an antinomial set of circumstances for you and me is because of what Benedict chose to do. He chose to do it, all right? Let's not be spiteful, but he chose to leave us to Francis. We're going to see, did he actually have a reasonable, substantial certainty that it would be Francis that filled his shoes? I, I argue that he actually ought to have known what the conclave would have delivered of 2013 based on what happened at the conclave of 2015. So we're going to go through a little bit more of that with our Benedict history in a second. Vatican Affairs writer, this is also the BBC article, Massimo Franco told the BBC that all procedures would have to be written from scratch. Get it? Following Benedict's resignation in 2013, the Catholic Church did not specify what would be done in the event of his death. Impending. Imminently. He also warned, he, Franco, the possible death of Benedict could have unforeseen consequences on the papacy, such as normalizing the resignation of a pope. Well, that seems to be the case because Pope Francis has said several times that he plans on retiring. Said or insinuated. Several, several times. For some within the Catholic Church, the resignation of Benedict represents a unique circumstance that will never have to be repeated. For others, it may represent a precedent and therefore could be repeated. But this remains a big question mark, just like everything surrounding the death and funeral of Benedict XVI. Could I add a notion here, Mr. Franco? I'd say this remains a big question mark, just like everything surrounding the resignment of the office, the death and the funeral of Benedict XVI. Just like everything hoary and shadowy that has happened inside and outside of the Vatican, pertaining to the office of Peter, over the last 10 years, nine years and 10 months. Finally, the article closes with this. As Benedict was previously the head of state of Vatican City, it is possible there will be a state funeral with foreign leaders invited, but even that to date is uncharted territory. So you get it? 
normies want everything to just go back to being comfortable and normal and mediocre, tepid, whatever, whatever it is that makes things comfortable for the bougies. Don't race to that. We need to be uncomfortable in this time. We need to remember that when a pope does something he's not supposed to do, retire, everything that's formally definable and, and, and definite and well-structured and well-ordered will fall into a state of disarray. Antinomial misdefinition or or just everything will that formerly was defined before will lack a definition now will lack a certain comfortable definition so here's some benedict history for you as as we await news from the vatican that will probably certainly come ex post facto to the death of benedict the 16th this is from an article on reuters lots of Toxins tinged into this fact box article. Former Pope Benedict, his papacy and resignation. Just the basics. Just to show you what I work with when I review this stuff. Former Pope Benedict, who Pope Francis said on Wednesday was very sick, resigned on 2013, the first pontiff in 600 years to take such a step rather than rule for life. Here's some facts about his 95-year-old, the 95-year-old Benedict and his papacy. Benedict was the first German Pope in a thousand years. He was elected on April 19, 2005, to succeed the widely popular Pope John Paul II, who reigned for 27 years, which I think was the second longest pontifical reign in the history of the office. Cardinals chose Benedict from a a number of uh, their cohorts seeking continuity. They wanted a safe pair of hands, which... Uh, for 25 of JP2's 27 years in office, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger was the powerful head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, the, the prefect for the CDF. All 20, 25 of the 27, almost all 27. Reuters calls Ratzinger a, an uncompromising theological conservative, which is not, in my humble opinion, at all true. He's not at all, an uncompromising theological conservative, in my view. But they have pitched him this way in the mainstream, and lots of rightward-leaning Catholics still view Benedict as this way. Joseph Ratzinger left Germany and his post as Archbishop of Munich in 1982 to head the CDF. This is two and a half years into the pontificate of JP2. His disciplining of Latin American priests who promoted Marxist-influenced Influenced liberation theology bestowed him with the sobriquet God's Rottweiler. Now they get into trolling him by calling him a weak administrator. And I, I don't think we need to go through a lot of the next years of the Benedict pontificate, according to this Reuters article, but I will say this. I'll read this much. The 2012 Vatty Leak scandal helped unravel his papacy. Paolo Gabriele, Benedict's butler, leaked secret documents that revealed corruption and feuding within the Vatican. Benedict said he stood down because bad health prevented him from bearing the full weight of the papacy. But again, he stepped down 
within a few months of the Vatileaks scandal. And ever since that time, as is bound to happen with such a mystery-laden retirement, with such a factually unprecedented retirement, in an office that's not meant to be retired, people wonder, why did he step down? And to make this all even more stupidly, obviously, a troubling fact, set of facts, he gave the most ridiculous reason for stepping down, that his health was failing. Ten years ago, as an 85-year-old. And he has survived up until this moment, as far as we know, and has given interviews, like to Peter Siebold, for one, his friend and biographer, saying he feels better than he did in this last few years of the office. So that's not reassuring. We want him to be doing well. We pray for him. But this is not... He's still of sharp Teutonic mind, but he doesn't get it. That's not what we expect from you. We expected you to be in office this whole time. Pope Benedict Emeritus, Pope Emeritus Benedict. We'd be going through this now with you evidently on your deathbed. And none of the last 10 years of violent trauma by Francis to us, the faithful, would have happened. Do you understand how it's a binary proposition that governs this much? Parish orphans and retrogrades? It is literally, if he would have made the right decision, maintained the papacy for the last 10 years, all of this Francis nonsense, 101 plus outrages of Pope Francis, would dissipate like a bad dream upon waking. It would dissipate immediately, like a bad dream upon waking. And and instead, it's one of those times, it's the lowest moments in my life, when you know, we were having a health crisis with my firstborn, I would wake up in a panic, I would have a false sense of relief because I'd go, oh, that was a bad dream. And then I'd be like, oh no, this hasn't been a bad dream. Abby just had brain surgery, or Abby needs a brain surgery, or I'm stuck in a foreign land uh, after two brain surgeries to my firstborn. That's, to say opposite, that is a different feeling altogether from waking up from a bad dream you think is real, and all of a sudden things are, the, the clouds part, and it's a beautiful day, and you have none of the problem to deal with. It's the opposite, in a horrifying way to wake up from a slumber and to realize that the dream was actually reality. Okay. So, when we talk about the 2005 conclave, whereupon Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, who'd been acting as the prefect for the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith under JP2 for 25 years, close number two, was eventually elected We have to look at specifics. And I would offer this much, okay? I want you to remember this. According to Julia Maloney, who wrote the Sancta Gaula Mafia, it was between the third and the fourth vote or scrutiny at that council where they're taking a lunch break that Ratzinger was noted walking arm in arm with 
Cardinal Martini, the leader, the dawn of the so-called Sankt Gallen Mafia, which had met for the previous nine years in a secret location in Switzerland. Now we know it's Sankt Gallen, Switzerland. In order to dissect, massage, discuss, discourse, war game, a strategy by which these ultra-leftist, ultra-radical cardinals and bishops, like Ivo Fuhrer was just a bishop, could avoid a Ratzinger pontificate in the eventual conclave falling upon the death of JP2. And guess what? When Benedict was seen walking arm in arm in between the third and the fourth scrutiny at the 2005 conclave, shortly thereafter, shortly after that lunchtime, that meeting during lunchtime, they returned to the vote, the fourth scrutiny, all or most or all of the Sankt Gallen Mafia's contingency then went suddenly to Ratzinger, who became, on that basis, Pope Benedict XVI, after some sort of meeting with words exchanged, dare I say meeting of the minds, I'm speculating a bit now, but this is all we're left to, between Ratzinger and Cardinal Martini. Okay, why, why would they be talking? These are sworn rivals. Sworn rivals. With lots and lots of insinuations over the next two years, the first two years of Benedict's pontificate, that there might be something like a retirement. Yes, early in the Benedict pontificate, there are already whispers of this. So, what does this leave us with? Well... It could be spec. Oh, by the way, who came in second in the voting in 2005 at that conclave? An unknown named Bergoglio. Basically invisible to all the Vegas line odds and odds makers who are pretty good at figuring out for the purposes of wagering who's most likely to win at any contest. They didn't see Bergoglio because Bergoglio had powerful kingmaker friends. So yes, I do speculate that there's a very real possibility that that discussion at lunch between Joseph Ratzinger and Carlo Maria Martini involved some sort of stipulation. I don't know it, but I speculate it. A stipulation as to Benedict, who had already, the evidence insinuates, conceived of the two-part pontificate, the two-pope pontificate, a contemplative with an active, that he might step down, try out his little pet theory, which has now gone on for about 10 years, and there would be another pope. And yes, I do speculate that Cardinal Martini probably stipulated also, if I'm guessing, who this Pope would be. They'd named him before, the Sankt Gallen Mafia. There's only one radical enough for us, Jorge Mario Bergoglio, who came in second 
conveniently enough, in the 2005 conclave, who was giving him a real run for his money, such that there seems to maybe have been some sort of agreement. Sorry if that offends you, but not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. This is how the real world evidently works. It's not how I run my affairs. Never compromise on the uncompromisable. And I'd love to tell you that Benedict had the kind of pontificate that I was hoping you would have when he delivered the Regensburg Address. And I was a, my first year teaching at Catholic school back then in 2006. I was all excited. He, he uh, published a book with Marcello Pera, an Italian philosopher that was beautiful. The Regensburg Address is like the best six pages of the history of philosophy I've ever read, pound for pound. And I was a big Benedict enthusiast. I went to Rome to study at a pontifical university in 2007, largely on the, the strength of my enthusiasm for this pontificate. I'm looking at the name of Benedict on my degree from Gregoriana right now. I was so proud to have his name on that, unlike all the other Catholic degrees I have from a Catholic law school and a Catholic Jesuit master's degree program. I have Benedict the Sixteenth's name on my diploma in 2008, my licentiate from the Greg. I thought that was so cool. But his pontificate did not follow that way. And yes, it's cool. We had the Latin Mass for a little while because of Benedict's uh, Samorum Pontificum. But he did not take the steps necessary. Remember his first real quote in office, pray that he will have the strength against the wolves of Rome. And it seems to be a certitude at this point that he did not have the strength. God gave what was needed, but he made the decision to step down. And yes, I speculate. And I do not claim to know. That is pure opinion, but it's based on real fact. So I kind of started off saying, well, in a non-speculative way, in a non-conspiratorial way, what happens when he dies? And that's why I read you the, the article saying, well, normally a Camerlingo is a, uh, is, who's already been appointed takes over. We don't have that because we have a second pope, the first-ranking pope, Francis. So Camerlingo is not necessary. And we went through all the kind of modalities and contingencies and possibilities that follow therefrom. But now, and, and then we went through Benedict's sort of history as a prelate and then a pontiff. But now what happens to, to these, I have friends who are Beneplenists who are, are thoroughly convinced that Benedict is still the one pope. I think I have a unique position because I just said Benedict, there are two popes. There have been two popes. Yeah, I know, maybe not ordinarily, maybe not theologically or magisterially, but I don't know how to work that out. Benedict really strove to be called Pope still and to wear the physical indicia of that. That doesn't make me a Beneplenist, right? As you've heard me say countless times on this channel, I think Francis is Pope. Now, I'm not saying the Beneplenists couldn't be right because I'm definitely not certain that they're not. I'm as far as I know, the only Catholic that's honest enough to say, I don't know what 
in hell's bells is going on. I hear a lot of other Catholics that are constantly claiming to know. And guess what, folks? They don't. At Franciscan University, the Scott Hahn clique, smart, smart cats. I like them. They don't know. At the other universities, Newman, Newman-less universities, the trattier ones, like Christendom or Ave Maria, they don't know. The other trad podcasts, they don't know. The rad trad podcasts, they don't know. The Pope's planners don't know what's going on, right? They don't even know that Pope Francis published Amoris Laetitia yet and what that means. There is a war on. They don't even know we're at war. Don't you know we're at war, right? They don't even know that. So just don't tell me that me saying, I don't know what's been up for 10 years in the church. You guys have known me for four and a half years. Assuming you first saw me on Taylor Marshall's channel in summer of 2018, which is the story with a lot of folks. You know me for about four and a half years. I've been publishing about four and a half years before that. Lots of magazine articles in those first four and a half years. Lots of books the last four and a half years. Four or five of them. I'm just telling you, as I've always told you, I don't know. Here's how I see the odds. Here's the the different, here's my diagnosis. And here's some, as any good doctor should give you, differential diagnoses. Could be Francis is the Pope. That's most likely. There could be two guys claiming to be Pope, even though they're not really warring about it the way we've had like in the Avignon papacy. That seems likely too. And in that case, Francis is still probably Pope. But there could be two guys that are more warring behind the scenes, Benedict and Francis, making it seem like they're not warring. And I guess theoretically, Benedict's been Pope. Less likely. That's the Beneplanist option. I've never been convinced, but I have been slightly compelled. There's a difference. And Beneplanism, this idea that Benedict's the Pope, some iterations of it have Benedict being Pope against the wishes of Francis. Other iterations have Francis being sort of complicit in Benedict being the secret Pope. It doesn't make a lot of sense when you jumble them all together. Beneplanism, irrespective of which iteration you ascribe to out there becomes set of a contism the second that Benedict dies. Now, I know you know this. That's not shedding any great light. That's kind of like saying the obvious part, saying the loud part loud. I don't know that that, I will also say, I don't know that that fact, that the moment that Benedict dies, Beneplanism becomes set of a contism, I don't think that rules it out as a possibility. I don't. I've never favored this option. I don't think it's more than 50% likely. I don't think it's even 50% likely. Sometimes in some moods, on some days, with some news, some hazards, some catastrophes from this guy, Francis, I do feel like it's approaching 50% possible, but it's a different moods thing. And I've never claimed to know, and I've never told you I know. I just do what I feel I do best gather the evidence, weigh the evidence, reason about competing theories. 
one of the things that will make me or can really darn near tempt me to feel like this must be a psyop of some sort was the news shortly before Christmas I reported that this arguably the leading radical in the Northern Church, the Northern European Church, Heiner Wilmer, had been tapped by Francis to become the new number two in the church, the new doctrinal number one, the prefect for the CDF or the DDF, if you call it the dicastery for the doctrine of faith, the way Francis changed it, which itself attests to what a radical reformer. Now, what I haven't talked about is, according to Rorate Chaley, the cardinals blocked I don't even know how they do this. The appointment of Heiner Velmer as the new CDF in the church. I don't know how the cardinals can block a pontifical appointment to the dicasteries. Here's what Rorate Chaley says. This was like, this came up on Christmas or the day after Christmas. Seemed that everything was already fixed. Shortly after Christmas, the appointment of a new prefect for the CDF was expected, but then everything turned out differently, at least for the time being. Cardinal Luis Laderia Ferrer, the current CDF, uh, still in office, had received his mandate in an unexpected way in the summer of 2017. Until then, the Spanish Jesuit had been secretary of the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, the right hand of the, pre uh, the prefect. At the time, the prefect was still Mueller. We know what happened to that. Uh, whom... Benedict XVI had appointed to Rome in 2012 with the intention of placing this key position in reliable hands to ensure continuity beyond his retirement. The election of Pope Francis upset all the coordinates much more than some had expected in their wildest imaginations. Mueller, now disliked as a Ratzingerian, found himself constantly compelled to make declarations of loyalty to the new Pope. I don't need the whole story of Mueller. He, Mueller, had to try to grow into a new role by walking a tightrope, aware of the risks involved. Okay, I don't really care about that. Let me scroll down a little more. Ultimately, it was an impossible undertaking for Mueller to stay in the job. Some spoke early on of a suicide mission. Indeed, things did not go well for long, and Francis dismissed Mueller suddenly one day in um, June 2017. Remember, he burst in on him saying Mass? He said, I'm saying Mass, and Francis said, come anyway. This is just an unholy man, Francis. Rather in an unkind manner. Francis's disapproval of Benedict XVI's last prefect of the faith is still evident today, with Francis not conferring any officer role on Mueller, the German cardinal, since then, which is typical to do when you demote a prefect for the CDF. Mueller, however, in whose Episcopal city Benedict XVI had given his historic Regensburg speech in 2006, continues to be a cardinal and as such has a not insignificant influence which he seeks to exert. He responded, Mueller did, by ordaining priests in the traditional rite immediately after Traditionis Custodis. That's good. Now, we need to just get to the part where uh, it is not possible to reconstruct exactly what happened around Christmas or the day after when the Cardinals seemed to have rejected Heiner Wilmer. Heiner Wilmer, by the way, is a radical, synodal way 
German who has endorsed LGBTQ, women priests. He's youngish. He's like 62. He's one of the most radical German prelates. <coughs> and he is seen as a leader of that contingent. And Francis tried to make him the prefect for the CDF, meaning this would be it. This would be the, the death shot, the kill shot on the church. Francis tried to do it, and this is what happened. Reports that the appointment of the ultra-progressive bishop, Filmer, was imminent, and it startled parts of the church hierarchy. Some cardinals organized a consistent opposition to Wilmer's nomination and made clear their opposition to Santa Marta as well. Cardinal Mueller seems to have played a not insignificant role in this. Good for him. He had, after all, already led the cardinal's opposition to a family synod with prefabricated results in October 2015. I've talked about that synod a lot. It was, okay, they're going through, you know. So I don't, I don't really, he doesn't, Marate Chaley, with all due respect, man, he never enumerates what happened. He just, he kind of insinuates it. And now look, he, he talks about stuff that Vigano and Cardinal Mueller did in 2020. And then he just comes back to this referent, which was never really made much of a referent. Now he says, now it seems to be, thanks to Cardinal Mueller, who, with numerically strong support in the College of Cardinals, was able to persuade Pope Francis to refrain from appointing Wilmer as prefect of the faith. He never laid the foundation by really stating that before. He kind of said, this must be what happens. Now he refers back to it as if he ever stated it strongly. And then he closes the article from a couple days ago with this closing paragraph. Francis, however, is known for his reluctance to let his intentions be thwarted, which is true. So for the future, they say in Rome, there is no guarantee. The fact is, however, that Wilmer's failure to be appointed, which is already considered certain in the third week of Advent, I reported in the third week of Advent as a certitude, has a concrete reason. Part of the College of Cardinals revolted against it successfully for the time being. We just never get the story on that. And you can't really find it elsewhere on the Catholic web. But that's why we didn't get Vilmer. I thought it was supposed to happen the Monday before Christmas, which would be the, <coughs> like the 19th. Didn't happen. And I don't know why. And I don't know exactly how it didn't happen. But all this goes to say, you, you look up Heiner Wilmer or Vilmer, absolute radical, totally like Martin Luther. He's Martin Luther reborn, okay? Just think of him like that. German synodal way. The Pope's planners were going to be in real trouble to account for why Francis's synod on synodality is not just the German synodal way when you just appointed this man as doctrinal chief. Then in a way, it's sort of a failure. It, it, it's a disappointment to me that this didn't happen because then there'd just be no more, no more negotiation, no more compromise, no more mincing words. It would just be, okay, Francis, more than ever before, is a bad guy. And I, they, you just have to pick a side. But, you know, I guess Amoris Letizia should have done that in 2016. Anyway, it all shows things are coming to a head. Heaven is allowing us to twist in the wind, to suffer, maybe to form some character. And people are going to have to make some difficult decisions in 2023.
I don't even know what those decisions will be. I don't even know what our options will be. But Benedict is at the point of death. Pray for the man, for the man himself. He made the wrong decision. He left us to an abusive stepfather called Francis. That's a done deal. We're at the precipice of the 10-year anniversary of this decision being made. Can't go back. No magic DeLoreans to take us from 1985 to 1955 or anything like that. So we just got to live with it. And 2023 is certain to be eventful. God bless us in these times. Make good decisions. Love your family. Spend some more time with them over the next week. Pray about this. Think about this. And most of all, accept the hard lot, the hard reality that is certainly ours. Stop denying it, parachurpins and retrogrades. Accept it. It's ours, and we we can maybe maybe do something wondrous with it yet. Maybe heaven has some light at the end of the tunnel for us. We'll see in 2023. Day is full. God bless you all. Merry, Merry Christmas, Octave. Love you guys. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.